Well, do you ever use the phrase, I'm up to my neck in it? Maybe it's those days where work's busy, there's stuff going on with family, you're not feeling great, you've got deadlines, you're feeling squeezed. Or maybe it's a, a bigger picture thing. Maybe right now, with coronavirus and all the lockdown implications, you're feeling up to the neck in it. Financial pressure, entertaining children, trying to homeschool, not being able to get away from Vista, not being able to have the help of friends and family, not enjoying work, not getting all that you'd hoped for out of 2020, probably 2021. Maybe you feel a bit lost, purposeless. Maybe you'd say you're up to your neck in it. What do you do when you're up to your neck in it? Well, in this part of Isaiah, God's people are up to their neck in it and God gives some clear instructions of what to do. But do you remember where we were last week as we left Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah's message for the people was one of judgment, where cities would lie ruined and only a stump would remain. Well, we skipped over chapter 7 with some of the details of that judgment. King Ahaz, the new king of Judah, he's under threat from a, an alliance from the north of Syria and Ephraim. And he and his people are absolutely terrified at the prospect. It says in chapter 7, he and his people shook like trees in the wind. They were so scared. So Isaiah, he, he's told to go and meet Ahaz. And he goes to Ahaz with an offer of help from God. But you see, Ahaz, king of God's people, with the offer of help from God, well, he kind of says no. And instead of accepting God's offer of help, he opts to try and find protection his own way. Well, Israel to the north of Judah is completely swept aside by this alliance. Two nations that are trying to conquer as much as they can with the threat of the Assyrians, the world superpower coming their way. They attack through the north, through Israel. And some people have talked about it as like a moment that two rats are attacking a mouse when a big cat is on the prowl around the corner, the Assyrians. You see, God's, God is acting in judgment against the people that are refusing his help. This is what it says in chapter 8, verse 6. Read along, it's just before the bit that we read. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remalia, therefore, behold... The Lord is bringing up against the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will, raise over all its it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. God's saying, look, Shiloh is a picture of my provision for my people and you've rejected it. So God's saying the result is of choosing to trust yourself and sort yourself out rather than with me is the threat of the Assyrians. The picture we get is like a room filling with water, Judah up to the neck in it. God's people are struggling to breathe at the hands of the world's superpowers. 
how are they not to despair in that situation? Because in every worldly sense, the world superpowers are, are rushing in. They are up to their neck in it. But what we see in these chapters that we look at this evening is a picture of what God's people are to be like. So maybe this evening you feel up to your neck in it. Just about gasping for air, struggling to stay afloat. And you've asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do in my situation? Well, hopefully this evening will give us some clear guidelines. Well, remember at the end of chapter six, there's the promise there would be a remainder a remnant, a people left for God in amongst the context of God's judgment on his people, there would be a remnant. And look at verse 9 and 10 where we began our reading this evening. This is God's message for his remnant people to hold out literally to the incoming armies as they swarm around them. Verse 9, be broken you peoples and be shattered. Give ear all you far countries, strap on your armour and be shattered strap on your armor and be shattered take counsel together but it will come to nothing speak a word but it will not stand for god is with us can you imagine god's little nation saying this to the advancing armies and superpowers from all over this message it's like it's like god mocking them strap on your armor but you'll be shattered make all your great plans but they'll come to nothing you see, at the very same time that God is pronouncing his judgment on the people that have refused to listen to him and accept his help. God's saying to the incoming armies, Assyria and all their mercenaries, that Judah's destruction will come to nothing. Why? Because even to an unfaithful people facing judgment from the approaching armies, there is hope. They won't be overwhelmed, even though they're up to their neck in it, because God will raise up a remnant. Because God himself is with them. There is hope from despair because God saves sinners. And the rest of this passage that we're looking at this evening, it helps us to answer two big questions. What is God's remnant to be like? And what is God's rescue going to be like? What is God's remnant to be like? And what is God's rescue going to be like? You see, for the, the message for the remnant of the day is to trust in God's rescue. And that message is important for us to listen to now as well. What it looks like to trust in God's ultimate solution that we'll see ultimately delivered in the Lord Jesus. So firstly, what does it look like? What is God's remnant to be like? A people who trust God. Look at the audacity of what this remnant uh, are told to tell the oncoming superpowers. Be broken, be shattered, strap on your armour and be shattered. 
do your worst, it won't succeed. How could they possibly say that God's little nation with the superpowers of the world approaching? Because although they're almost totally overwhelmed, although the people are facing even God's judgment, God has not left them. He will keep his promise that we finish with at the end of chapter six. He will be their provider. He is with them. He will keep a people for himself. See, the remnant is to stand out with a defiant confidence. It doesn't shake like a tree in the wind that we saw the people in chapter seven. What does it mean to be one of God's people when it looks like the world is overrun by superpowers? What does it mean to be one of God's people when it looks like all the power in the land is in the laps of politicians, epidemiologists, businessmen and women, superstars? What does it mean to be one of God's people when it looks like all you need to succeed in this world is money, charm, power, a good job, education, intelligence? Does it mean God's people need to be incredibly resolute and resilient, strong in themselves. Well, this is what Jonathan Edwards writes about confidence in our own ability. As he has more holy boldness, so he has less self-confidence. As he is more sure than others of deliverance from hell, so he has a greater sense that he deserves it. He is less apt than others to be shaken in faith, but more apt than others to be moved by solemn warnings, God's frowns and the calamities of others. He has the firmest comfort, but the softest heart, richer than others, but the poorest of all in spirit. He is the tallest and strongest saint, but the least and tenderest child among them. Do you see what he's saying? Boldness, confidence, resolute resilience in the face of pressing circumstance they don't come fundamentally from looking at ourselves, at looking from a power that we possess. Do you remember last week, as we saw Isaiah, look at God's glory. He, in that moment, he was so aware of his own failure that he said, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But his eyes were still fixed on the Lord and his glory. When you feel up to your neck in your circumstances, when you're struggling in what's going on, even in your own sin, when you're struggling to find a way through life, where is it that you look for strength? Where does your hope lie? Is it in yourself? Is it in the hope of relaxation of restrictions that might come tomorrow evening? Look, look at verse 11. Isaiah calls us to walk in a different way to other people, calls us to walk through what might feel like overwhelming circumstances, overwhelming circumstances and say, God is with us. Because God's chosen people are characterized as a people who trust him. A people who trust him 
and a people who fear him. Remember the context of God's people being encircled by the military superpowers of the day. Isaiah's message is, is clear. Don't be like the rest of the people. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be afraid. Fear God above everything else. And it, you might think, oh, it's, it's really easy to say that. But in that context, surely that would have been so hard. Maybe Isaiah is particularly qualified to, to speak into this situation because he's so aware of God's power and might. He was deeply affected by the power and might that he's seen of a fierce God that's rightly angry at sin. He's had a vision of God and his glory. He's heard his right pronouncement of judgment on the rebellious people. Maybe as we've spent the last couple of weeks in Isaiah, you've been struck by God's power, his right anger at sin, how he should be rightly feared. Is that part of our, our rich picture of who God is? Do we view God as strong, powerful and mighty? Look, Isaiah definitely did. Look at verse 11. The Lord spoke with his strong hand upon me. He was moved by God's might. That was completely different to those he was walking alongside. Look at verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. You see, a right view of God redefines what we fear. Don't fear what they fear. Let him be your fear and dread. The people of Judah, they've got armies invading from all sides. It is probably the most palpable fear they'd have known. And yet in light of what God has said to Isaiah, in light of what God said to his people, it makes sense that they should fear God above everything else. Are you more fearful of other things than God's? Are you more fearful of how people see you? Of failure? Of rejection? Are you more fearful of not being satisfied, not being respected, being left out, being alone, not achieving what you want to? Are you more fearful of not feeling fulfilled? Are you more fearful of those things than you are of not honouring a holy God. Because Isaiah is telling us he's right to fear God, have a right fear of God, because that very same rock that is a rock of refuge, verse 14, is one of attack, a sanctuary and a rock of offence. God's described as both completely safe and dangerous at the very same time. How? Because the very same message is what is one that is of hope to those who find their trust in him and judgment against those who reject him. Because God's judgment is either on the shoulders of us or Jesus. I don't know how familiar you are with the Gruffalo story. My guess is, looking around at the screens, we've got some Gruffalo experts listening. Reddit 
probably thousands of times. Look, maybe I'm slow, but as I've read The Gruffalo, it's taken me quite a while to understand the concept of the book. A mouse took a stroll through the deep, dark wood. And basically this mouse, he meets all these scary animals that could eat him up. He's so afraid as he meets these animals that he creates this concept, the Gruffalo. He makes it up. But then, as he gets further into the wood, he actually meets the Gruffalo, the thing that he thought he'd made up. And in that moment, he's afraid. But he manages to convince the Gruffalo to walk through the wood with him. And the, the owl, the fox, the snake, the animals that he's met, they're, they're not scary to him anymore. Because the Gruffalo, the most fearful thing in the whole wood, is on his side. But you see the mouse, until the mouse meets the Gruffalo, his biggest concern is how he'll deal with each of these animals that comes in his path. But the moment he meets the Gruffalo, his only concern is how he stays in step with the most fearful thing in the whole wood. And all those other things, they're dealt with. If we're most concerned with a right fear of the Lord, we cling closely to him. All the other things that, that look so scary as we walk through life, they won't be petrifying to us. Because God's power and might far outweigh anything that we come up against. Sometimes we're maybe in danger of, of seeing God's sacrificial love and thinking of him just as warm and cuddly. And we forget that, as we've seen in the first few weeks of Isaiah, he's, he's got an absolutely petrifying hatred, a right hatred of evil, that he's got all power and authority. And so for anyone that stands against him, that is scary. A right fear of him means that we cling to his promises, we cling to his character. We don't need to be afraid of the things that might have looked powerful and threatening. God's people are to be a people who fear him. And God's people are to be a people who prioritise his word. Look at verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. See, in Ahaz's day, the gospel, God's word, it wasn't valued. That's so clear because in chapter seven, when Ahaz was offered God's word that he would rescue him, Ahaz wasn't bothered. He was far more, he was far more interested in the advancing armies and trying to work out his alliances that he'd, he'd, he'd get sorted out. But the instruction to the remnant is so clear. Bind up his word and find hope in him. Treasure God's word, store it up, listen to it. The remnant are to be a people who prioritise what God has told them. Because that's the very way that they'll continue to find their hope in him in uncertain times. Do you see how the practical binding up of God's word and treasuring it, verse 16, it, it goes hand in hand with the decision to hope in him. It's a, a practical that goes with that decision. 
so for us to really trust in God and trust in what he'll do in delivering us ultimately through the Lord Jesus will we listen to him to what he has to say to us in his word will we treasure what he says see when you sit down to read your bible it's not just a comprehension exercise what's going on is far more than just the transfer of information no god by his very words moves our affections to trust in him god by his very words moves our affections to trust in him that we'd be a people that prioritize what he has to say i wonder if that would be said of us at town church it's one of our values it's what we'd hope is said of us when things become overwhelming when things get tough when we're really struggling when things really feel out of control when we are up to our neck in it would it be said of us that we are a people that prioritize god's word we think just for a minute do you by yourself let the bible speak into the big decisions of your life do you ask what the bible has to say about where you live what job you take what family decisions you make what to do when you feel disappointed or let down do you let the bible speak into the decisions that you make in those situations a remnant it's a people that god has chosen to trust him to fear him and to prioritize his word but look, the, the vast majority of the people of Judah, they're not like that. Remember last week, we saw that shift from darkness to light, from judgment to glory. Isaiah, he's doing it again. Look at verse 20. It describes a people who have no regard for God's word. That's typical of Judah. Because they have no dawn, it says. They're in the dark when it comes to listening to God's word. See the description of them? It's distressing. They're hungry. They're enraged, arguing, darkness, gloom, anguish, frustration. It's bad. It is a bad, bad picture of darkness. And in that picture of darkness, God promises light to the people in the midst of circumstances that are overwhelming, to people that are walking in darkness, there's a promise that there will be no more gloom. This is light in the context of darkness. And it doesn't take us long to see that actually we still live in a world that is a context of darkness, with death, disease, infection, despair, gloom, anguish. That is so real to us at the moment. But look at what God has done for his people. Look at verse three. The, the you here is God. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy of the harvest, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. See, God's rescue plan is cause for rejoicing. Triumph in this moment is in God's hand because this little nation has been multiplied. There is hope from despair for this little nation. There is joy 
even in the midst of suffering. God's people, we've seen their, their character, what they're doing, how they're coping. They're not always capable, able. They're not right. They're not perfect. They're not resolute and resilient. But God's saying his remnant are a people that are transformed to trust him at his word and fear him over anything else. And as they do that, they'll find joy in his coming rescue plan. And look at verse three. This is the joy. This is the joy of an effective rescue. Look at verse six. How is it that it's effective? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is real hope from despair. This is God's promised deliverer. God's solution to all the wickedness we've seen in Isaiah, all the wickedness of this world, takes the form of what, verse 6? A baby born. See, 700 years before his arrival, this speaks clearly of the Lord Jesus. A baby born, the government on his shoulder, born in the line of David to reign on the throne of David. Who will reign with justice and righteousness. Here's the magnitude of the promise. See, for three hours, as the Lord Jesus, the light of the world hung on a cross, the land went dark in God's judgment because Jesus took sin upon himself so that people walking in darkness might live in the light of God's justice and righteousness forever. See how the Lord Jesus perfectly brings the colour to this promise. There is hope from despair. Because God saves sinners. The Lord Jesus defeats the reign of death. He upholds justice. He'll forgive all those that trust in his saving work on the cross. And he will come back to judge all that reject him. This is fully God become fully man. This is God with us. Do you see the hope for me and you is the same as chapter 8 verse 10. God with us. Emmanuel, the Lord Jesus, come to this earth to hold out God's promised rescue plan to all that would accept him. See, the ultimate solution is the Lord Jesus. And in the Lord Jesus, this nation is expanded. This is a growing remnant. The kingdom that Jesus brings in will go on forever and never be defeated. Because while we still live in a world that is full of darkness, we have seen the light of the Lord Jesus. He will uphold justice and righteousness forever and he will return. Look, this evening as we close, on the eve of maybe more bad news, more delay, more circumstances that fill us with dread. We have 
great reason to rejoice because the joy of verse three is ours in the Lord Jesus. Do you have that joy? Are you trusting in God in these uncertain circumstances? Do you fear him above all the other displays of power in this world? Do you prioritise his word and listen to what he has to say more than any other voice? Are you able to rejoice today in the Lord Jesus, God's rescue plan that's effective? Light in the darkness, hope from despair. Let's pray. Father, please would you help us? Please would you help anyone listening who feels up to their neck in it to see the joy of your rescue plan, the Lord Jesus. Lord, please would you help us all to trust in you above all else, to have a right fear of you above anything else and to listen to what you have to say to us above anyone else. Amen.